I'd like to say how thankful we are to our Lord for this special time. And hopefully this is a special time for you. You know, we we do this 52 times a year. And sometimes people say, well, whenever you do it, ever, you do it so often, it loses its meaning. And But hopefully every Lord's Day is a special day. Hopefully every Lord's Day seems like a day that is different from all others because we get to be together with Christians and we get to... We're probably not going to sing together like this throughout the week. We're not probably not going to be able to, to share the encouragement that we share today throughout the week and to remember our Lord's death. And so we pray that we'll take advantage of this opportunity. And special occasions require special effort. And you could hear some special effort in the singing this morning and in the prayers. And so let's give special effort now as we turn to God's Word and open up His Scriptures to uh, be enlightened by the truth that uh, our Lord has to reveal to us this morning. You know, we studied earlier in the week, in fact, I believe it was last Sunday afternoon, concerning living uh, godly in this present world. To live soberly, righteously, and godly. And the Apostle Paul talked about in Titus 2 that the grace of God that bringeth salvation teaches us to do that. And we talked about how that the word teach there doesn't just mean to give instruction, but it also meant to give discipline, to give correction. To give, um, to give a discipline of life to us. And so this morning what we want to look at is just exactly how does God's grace give us discipline in life? In other words, how does God's grace motivate me to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world? And I believe that one of the ways that God's grace teaches me or disciplines me and disciplines you to live soberly, righteously, and godly is because God's grace gives us a new identity. A new identity. You know, whenever I make morality and whenever I make living in this world just about me and the world, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. And so whenever I look at myself and I look at the world, I look at my sinful nature and I look at all of the lust and the things that are in the world, and if it's just about me gritting my teeth and doing the best that I can, I'm going to fail. That's what the law proved. The law proved if you give an unrighteous man a holy law, he's going to fail. And so there has to be something else. And that's what God's grace reveals to us, is that there is something else. I'm going to give you a new identity. And it's important that we understand that identity. In fact, whenever we look at the writings of the Apostle Paul, and he talked about living in this world, when he talked about our members in this world, whenever he talked about the lust of the world, he always talked about those things in reference to our new identity in Christ. And we're going to look at some things this morning that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter said about our identity and our living in this world. That we can arm ourselves with the same mentality, that we can live with the discipline of life, that we can say no to ungodliness and worldly lust, and live soberly, righteously, and godly because we understand our identity in this world. The first thing that we want to look at is that the Apostle Paul tells us that we're dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're dead unto sin and alive unto God. I've got to think of myself in those terms that I'm dead unto sin and alive unto God. You as a Christian have to think of yourself in those terms that you're dead unto sin and alive unto God. Whenever the apostle was writing to the Roman brethren, they had asked the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He looked at them as if, you just don't get it. You don't get it, do you? 
He goes on in chapter 6, verse 11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, whenever you were obedient to the gospel, whenever you were baptized, your sins were washed away. But more than just that happened whenever you were baptized. You made a statement about sin. And the statement that you made about sin was, Sin, I'm through with you. I'm through with you. And not only I'm through with the guilt of sin, but you also made a profession, I'm through living in sin. And that's why whenever they ask the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, Paul goes into this instruction about how that we are dead unto sin. That whenever we obeyed the gospel, whenever we were immersed into the death of Jesus Christ, our sins were washed away. And a lot of times whenever we think of our conversion and we think of ourselves being a new creature, we often think of ourselves in terms of looking back. Yeah, I'm a new creature. My sins are washed away. I'm not guilty anymore. But also, we have to be forward-thinking about our conversion also. So not only was I baptized into His death to wash away my sins, Paul goes on to say that if you've been buried in the likeness of His death, you'll also be in the likeness of His resurrection also. That just like Jesus came forth from the grave... Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So I'm not just looking back in the past at the sins that have been washed away. I'm looking forward at the sin that I'm no longer going to live in. Because I am dead indeed unto sin, but I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The phrase, dead indeed unto sin. The phraseology of this verse was common among the Hebrews and the Greeks and the Latins. To die to a thing is to have nothing to do with it or him. To be totally separated from them. And so this is a term, again, that was common among the Hebrews, Greeks, and Latins. That if you were dead to something, then that means that you were going to have nothing to do with it. And that you were totally separated from it. You see, the Romans didn't understand that. Or they wouldn't ask the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? They would have known. Okay, whenever we became Christians and we died unto sin, what we were doing was we were making a profession that we're going to be totally separated from it and we're not going to have anything to do with it anymore. To live to something is to be wholly given up to them, to have the most intimate connection with. So whenever Paul says to reckon yourselves indeed unto sin, he's saying you reckon yourselves as being completely separated and finished and through with sin, and now you're going to be intimately connected with God. The word reckon that he uses up here... That's an Arkansas term. We always say, I reckon. (laughs) But to reckon means to count something or to reason about something. It's the same Greek word that the Apostle Paul uses when he talks about God imputing righteousness to Abraham. In other words, God reckoned righteousness to Abraham. In other words, he looked at Abraham and he counted Abraham and he reasoned about Abraham a certain way. He counted him as righteous. And that's how God makes us righteous. He imputes righteousness to us. He counts us as righteous. Now, whenever we look at ourselves and we know ourselves pretty good, it's hard for us to look at ourselves as righteous, isn't it? Just imagine how hard it is for God to look at us if it was just us. 
But He reckons that righteousness to us on the basis of what Christ did on the cross. And so whenever we look at ourselves, we may look at ourselves and, well, I don't really feel like I'm dead unto sin. But what we have to do is reckon ourselves not on the basis of how we feel or we think about ourselves, but on the basis of what Christ did on the cross. That's why the apostle in Romans 6 connects their conversion so intricately to Jesus Christ. You were baptized into Christ's death. You're in the likeness of Christ's resurrection. It's Christ, Christ, Christ. So think in your terms, not in terms of yourself. I'm just a miserable old lust-filled wretch trying to plod through this world without sinning. But think of yourselves in terms of Christ. I've been buried with Christ and I'm resurrected with Christ Jesus. As we're going to see, we're resurrected beings. And because of that identity then, it provokes within us a certain type of life. And so Paul says then, since that is who you are, you're dead unto sin and alive unto God, then let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Let not sin. Don't allow sin. Paul is going to use some terms here that infer an allowance on our part. You know, if I let sin in my flesh do what sin in my flesh wants to do, it's going to do a lot of bad things if I just allow it to do that. But since I'm dead unto sin and alive unto God, I can't allow that to happen. I've got to stop that from happening. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. So there's a reason why we should say no to worldly lust. Why? Because we're dead unto sin and we're alive unto God. We're living unto God. It's not enough just to count yourself dead unto sin, but you've got to live unto something greater than yourself. And if it comes to terms of morality and living this world, and all we think about is just ourselves, we're going to be losers. But we have to understand the direction that our life has taken, that now we're separated from sin and now we're alive unto God. That whenever I say no to ungodliness and worldly lust, I'm saying no because of God. The word reign means to rule or to be king. To obey means to hear under as a subordinate. To reign and obey. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 19... Cleanse me of my secret sins and keep me from presumptuous sins that they may not have dominion over me. Presumptuous sins are sins of arrogance, sins of pride. Do you know that sin can reign in our life? We talked the other other evening about how sin can take control to where we lose control. And so the apostle is saying here in this instance, because of our identity of being dead unto sin and alive unto God, we can't allow sin to take control of our life. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of unrighteousness. The word yield just simply means to step back and say, okay, here you go. Take it. And so Paul says, because we're dead unto sin and alive unto God, we can't just step back and say, okay, sin, here, take my members, take my body. 
But rather what we have to do is yield our members as unto God. And notice what he says here. As those that are alive from the dead. There's that identity again. He's not only just telling us to do it, but now he's telling us to do it in association with our identity in Christ as those that are alive from the dead. You know, whenever we obeyed the gospel, we didn't obey the gospel just to become legal. (laughs) Okay, now when we do good, it counts for something. And we can take communion and we can lead songs and we can do things like that. When we obeyed the gospel, we went from being dead to being alive. Now, how logical would it be for an old dead body to be resurrected and made incorruptible and made fresh to turn right back around and go back into that corruption again? It makes no sense. And that's why how Paul is reasoning here. You're resurrected people. You're alive in Christ. You've been made fresh. You've been made new. You've been made whole. So now don't yield your members to those same old tired lust and sins that put you in that dead situation to begin with. You're alive, you're new, you're fresh unto God. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That gives me motivation to say no to the things of this world. Because I want to serve a higher purpose. I want to serve the purpose of God. And I want to keep myself clean and unspotted from the world. The word yield here again means to stand beside and just to exhibit, just to offer up, to proffer to someone. So we need to think of ourselves as being dead unto sin and alive unto God. That whenever we obeyed the gospel, I became a different creature. Yeah, I became a different creature in the sense that old things are passed away. And all of my sins have been taken care of, but I also became a new creature in the sense that I was resurrected with Christ. And now my life is a life that is to be lived unto God. Don't look at your life as just being a life that's all about saying no to the world. Because if that's all your life is about, is just saying no to the world, then you're going to fail. Our view and our vision of our life has to be to that higher purpose of serving God. Now, in serving God and living unto God, I am going to say no to the world. But I'm also going to have so much more involved in my life. In Colossians 3, 1 to 11, the apostle says that we are risen with Christ. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about in Romans 6. We're resurrected people. And sometimes maybe we don't really marvel at our salvation like we ought to. How much, how much marvel would you have if we went down to the cemetery today and you saw a dead person resurrected? It would just blow us away. Wow. <laughs> but you know what? The work of salvation in your life and the work of salvation in my life is just as, if not more, miraculous. Think about that for just a moment. The salvation in your life and the salvation in my life is just as much, if not more, miraculous. To be risen. To take this old sinful self, this old wretched self, and to be resurrected and to be made to live in a relationship with the perfect Creator of all of creation. That's something to think about. 
And maybe it's something that's lost on us. Whenever we lose the marvel of our salvation, we're going to become worldly people. We're going to become worldly people. Because if you don't value the work that God has done in you, then you lose that motivation and that discipline of life to say no to the things of the world. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul said, Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through faith in the operation of God. So whenever I was baptized, not only were my sins washed away, but I was resurrected together with Christ through faith in the operation of God. Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, Paul says, When we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. Now again, there's a lot of times that I look in the mirror and I don't see someone that I feel like is sitting together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Because I know my sins. I know my faults. I know the inner chambers of my heart. I know what I struggle with. And you know, and if I look at myself only about myself, that's the way I'm going to be. I'm going to get discouraged and I may say yes to some of the things that the world offers. But if I look at myself in terms of Christ, if I look at myself in terms of the work, the operation of God in my life, and know that Christ has raised me up and made me sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I'm sitting in the presence of Christ in heavenly places. That changes my view of the world and that changes my approach to the world. Because if I'm sitting in the presence of Christ and I'm sitting in heavenly places, what allure should this world have to me? What allure should this world have to me? You see, Paul is not telling these Christians that he's writing to and exhorting them to holy living to just hitch up their belt and go out there and do the best that they can. He's trying to arm them with an identity and a perception of themselves that's going to give them motivation and give them discipline in their life. And so that's why Paul says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. That's reasonable, isn't it? If I'm risen with Christ, why do I want all of my interest to be on the things of this world? Why do I want all of my interest to be on the things of this world if I'm risen with Christ? Set your affection on things above. If I'm risen with Christ, why do I want to set my affections on things down here? For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's kind of a peculiar statement. But what it has to, what it means is your life is hid with Christ in God. It's like my life has been taken. And it's been put together with Christ and it's been put in a box and it's been locked up and it's been put up. My life is hid with Christ in God. That's where I exist. I'm locked up in a box, so to speak, with Christ in God. So if that's where I am, why do I want to set my affections on things down here? You ever think of yourself like that? Do you think how unreasonable it is for me to desire the lust and the things of this world? It's completely unreasonable. Whenever we understand and grasp our identity in Christ. For when Christ, who is our life? Christ is to be my life. 
Christ is to be my life. And so therefore, Paul says, mortify, therefore your members which are upon the earth. The word mortify means to deaden. So now that I understand where I am, now that I understand what my identity is, now I understand my obligation and my responsibility here upon the earth. I want to deaden my members. I want to deaden my members. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also some walked some time when ye lived in them. But Paul says you don't live in them anymore. Because your life, you've been placed together with Christ in a box. That box has been locked and you're hid up in God. So now that you're here on the earth, deaden your body to those things. Deaden your body to those things. Because of those things, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You know what? When a sinner does those, the wrath of God is coming on them. You know what? When a Christian does those, the wrath of God is coming on them. But again, our world perverts us into thinking, well, since I'm in Christ, I can do those things. No, since you're in Christ, you shouldn't want to do those things. Put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you've put off the old man with his deeds, and put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We talked about change last night. Put off all of, all, all of these things, because I'm a new creature. My life is hid with Christ in God. I'm a resurrected creature. I'm a resurrected being. So those old things that speak to my old way of living, I want to put those off. Because I'm a new creature. You see Paul's logic here? It's not just about going around telling Christians, say no to the world, say no to the world, say no to the world, say no to the world. It's about, hey, understand who you are. Understand who you are. Understand your identity. In Christ Jesus. Think of yourself in those terms and then saying no to the world becomes something that's perfectly logical and perfectly reasonable. <clears throat> Obedient children. 1 Peter 1, verses 14 to 16. We're to see ourselves as obedient children. Now, not just children, children, but obedient children. Peter says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So here the apostle Peter is talking to them about being holy. And what approach does he take? He takes the approach of, understand who you are. Obedient children. You know, whenever you look at a truly obedient child who looks up to their father, reveres their father, wants to be like their father in everything, that whenever the father speaks, they move at the words in humble submission because they want to be like their father. And so whenever Peter here is giving them the call to be holy, he relates that image of an obedient child. And that's what we're to be. 
We're children of God. We're to be obedient children. We're to be children who are attentive, that we hearken, that we desire to be compliant. We desire to be submissive to our Father. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance. The word fashioning there means to conform to the same pattern. Now in the Greek, this word that's translated fashion here is used one other time in the Scriptures. Romans 12 and 2. Be not conformed to this world. And so this is Peter's be not conformed to this world message. And he predicates it on as obedient children. That we have a Father. That we have a Father. That whenever I encounter the lust and whenever I encounter the the uncleanness of this world, I hear the voice of my Father. Be holy. Be holy. Be holy. So now my holiness is not just about me. My holiness is about the Father. My holiness is about my Father. How many of you, whenever you were children, you were faced with decisions, and if it were left up to you, you probably would have went one way. But because of your regard for your parents, you complied with them. There's a lot of times that my voice said do this, and mom and dad's voice was saying do that. And I would choose to do that. Because I love mom and dad. We've got a father that's whispering in our ear every day, Be holy. Be holy. So whenever I'm faced with the things of this world, what I want to be is as an obedient child. Be holy. The word holy means set apart to be sacred. The word sacred means connected with God and or dedicated to a religious purpose and so deserving veneration. We have to look at ourselves as holy people. As we're going to read here in just a little bit, we are a holy people. We've been made holy. That's our identity. We are holy people so that since we are holy, we are to be holy and live holy. And the apostle uses this on other occasions, talking about how that we are a sacred people. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 15, whenever the Apostle Paul was dealing with immorality at the church in the church at Corinth, notice his approach that he took. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. Instead of just saying, don't commit fornication, he reasons with them. And he reasons with them this way. Look at your body. Your bodies are the members of Christ. My body, your bodies, are the hands and the feet and the ears and the eyes and the voices of our Lord in this world. We sing the song, God has no hands but our hands. And so Paul's reasoning is, since that's your identity, since your bodies are the members of Christ, do you want to take that those members of Christ and join them to a harlot? You know, so now it's not just a matter of saying no to that lust. It's a matter of reasoning. I'm taking something that belongs to the Lord, that's supposed to be dedicated to the service of the Lord, and I'm joining it to a harlot. The eyes that are supposed to see the needs of other people for the Lord, I'm using these eyes to look at pornography. 
The feet that are supposed to be the feet of the Lord to take me to minister and serve are taking me to ungodly places. The hands that are supposed to lift up and care for the downtrodden I'm using for sinful means. Think about that. Think about that. Anytime we go to engage ourselves in the lust and the flesh of this, the lust of the flesh of this world, we're taking something that belongs to the Lord. You know, it's popular nowadays in the world to say, well, it's my body, I'll do with it what you want. No, it ain't your body. It ain't your body. Because Paul says right here, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Very first song we said. Lord, let me be a sanctuary. Let me be a sanctuary. The Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, therefore you are bought with a price, or you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. If you're a Christian, you're a sacred person. I'm a sacred person. Again, looking in the mirror, I may not feel that about myself. But looking at myself in Christ based upon the promises of God, I am a sacred person. So I don't want to take something that is sacred, that is the possession of God, and use it to be defiled by the things of this world. And lastly, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. We're strangers and pilgrims in this world. Paul says, or Peter says, we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's my purpose. I'm dead unto sin. I'm alive unto God. I'm part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. The word peculiar there doesn't mean a bunch of oddballs, even though that's maybe the way the world thinks about us, but it means a purchased people. We are the possession of someone else. And see, that's something that we have to understand about our identity. I don't belong to me. I belong to God. How would you like it if someone took one of your possessions, if someone took your most favorite automobile, I mean, it's your prize, you keep it in the garage, you keep it spotless and everything, and somebody wanted to borrow it, and then they took it, and they decided that day they wanted to go mudding in it. And so they go out in some bottom somewhere, and they go mudding, and they're driving around, and they're slinging mud up all on it, and then they bring it back with all that mud on it, and you look at it, you know, if it was theirs and they wanted to do that, fine. But you know what? It's mine. It's mine. And that's not the purpose of that vehicle. And so we feel an offense. How do you think God feels? Whenever we take something that He has a specific purpose for, and then we use it for our purpose. We're a purchased people. And so he says in verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Why did Peter say that? Why didn't Peter just say abstain from fleshly lust? But rather he says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Because he wanted to make them aware of their identity. He wanted to give them a point of identity from which to reason about abstaining from fleshly lust. The word stranger means having a home near, a by-dweller, an alien resident. We're alien residents in this world. 
What's an alien? Somebody that's somewhere where they don't belong. Someone that's somewhere where they don't... We don't belong in this world. You know, there's a popular contemporary Christian song that this is not where I belong. All I know is I'm not home yet. And we've got to look at ourselves that way. He goes on to say that we're pilgrims. Again, what's a pilgrim? A pilgrim is an alien, a resident foreigner. We don't belong here. And notice here that Peter says they're strangers and pilgrims, not tourists. (laughs) Not tourists. We may look at, well, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim, but I'm going to be a tourist also. Whenever we go somewhere where we don't belong, but we're going there to visit and to live it up and enjoy ourselves. These are terms that have to do with people that are somewhere temporary and they're moving on to someplace different, someplace better. For instance, a stranger. They're not at home, but they have a home near. What's a pilgrim? Well, we know what a pilgrim is. The pilgrims that left Europe and came over here. And we've got to look at ourselves that way. That this world is not where we belong. We're strangers and foreigners in this world. So that way, whenever the world does stuff that doesn't make sense to us, well, just imagine yourself being living off in, you know, another country. Those of you that have been to other countries, whenever you go there, it's real strange. The languages are different. The customs are different. The mannerisms are different. And you feel out of place. You know what? It's good for a Christian to feel out of place in this world. In fact, as Christians, we need to feel out of place in this world. If we're comfortable in this world, then that may be a sign that instead of casting a tent, we've built a home. And Peter says that we're strangers and pilgrims and that we should abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The word abstain means to hold oneself off. To abstain from something means that there is a draw to it. I don't have to abstain from asparagus. <laughs> I don't have to say no to asparagus because there's not a draw to asparagus. But again, I have to abstain from those 9 o'clock peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Because every night there's a draw there. So I'm passing through the kitchen, going to the bedroom. Boy, just to slather some peanut Boy, y'all are thinking, this guy's obsessed with peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> but there's a draw there. And I have to say no to that. I can tell you about times that I've said no to peanut butter and jelly, but I can't remember any times I've said no to asparagus because it just wasn't a decision there. And we've got to realize that as we pass through this world, there is going to be, this world is going to draw us. And there's going to be things that you're going to want to do. You're going to want to do. But we have to realize the old song that we sing. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And I don't want to attach myself to anything in this world that's going to keep me from going on to my home. To my home. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. The word being honest there means good and beautiful. I want to live a good, beautiful life that speaks of my relationship to God above in this evil present world. And he said those Gentiles, they're going to look at you and they're going to speak at you as evildoers. But notice this. They may by your good works which they behold glorify God in the day of visitation. 
You know what? There's going to come a time when God's going to visit this earth. And you know, people may look at us in the world as if we don't belong. And they're going to look at us and they're going to speak against us as evildoers because we won't do the things that they do. And we're going to speak out against the things that they do. And they're going to look at us and they're going to call us haters and they're going to call us bigots and they're going to look at us as evildoers. And Peter says, you just live an honest life because there's going to come a time when the Lord's going to come. And when the Lord's, whenever the Lord comes, all of those Gentiles that spoke evil about you, you know what they're going to say? You know those Christians? They got it right. They got it right. There is a God. And that God is great. And that God is glorious. So we want to live a life that in the end, that even those that don't believe can look at our life and glorify God in the day of visitation. So I hope as we've looked at these texts this morning, that we understand that just saying no, while we're instructed to say no, God has equipped us with an identity, and He's equipped us with discipline through His grace to say no. Now, I'm reminded of years ago whenever, uh, I think it was during the Reagan administration, and there was the big push against drug abuse, and the slogan was, just say no. Just say no. You know, and that sounds simple, and that sounds good, and it is simple, and it is good, but it's not enough. I need to have some discipline to say no. I need to have some reason to say no. And whenever we look at who we are in Christ Jesus, when we look at our identity as being dead unto sin and alive unto God, as being risen together with Christ and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, as being obedient children, as being strangers and pilgrims in this land, that gives me reason to say no. And that gives me discipline in my life. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this world is going to pass away. And if you're not a Christian, you're going to pass away with it. You've sinned. You've offended God. And as we studied some verses this morning, the wrath of God is going to come upon those that commit sin. But as we've also read, there's a work that Christ has done to change your identity. To take you from being that old sinner to make you into someone who is resurrected and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's only possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. Won't you avail yourself of that blood this morning? Through obedience to the gospel, having faith in that blood, confessing Jesus as the Son of God and being buried with Him in baptism. Or if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, and maybe you've taken that which is sacred and you've defiled it with this world. Maybe you've been made to sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, but you've been living like you've been sitting next to the person at the local nightclub. Maybe you haven't been an obedient child. Maybe you've been that defiant child. That as the Father whispers, be holy, you're saying, I want to be who I want to be. Understand that you're God's possession. And we can read throughout the old Bible how that God does not take lightly taking His things and using them for common and defiled purposes. And maybe you're convicted in your heart of sin and you desire the assistance of the congregation. We'd ask you to come as we stand and sing.